Hello, my name is Brenda and I am the owner and editor of the Wet Palette blog and podcast. Disclaimer today, and I'm going to have several of them. I'm recording this from a hotel room in New York. So if you hear any sirens or horns or any crazy background noise, that's where it's from. This episode will tackle all things Michelin Guide Florida as I see it. So a little bit of history before I dive in for those of you who are new to the Michelin Guide and the wet palette. Since 2014, way before I launched this podcast, I always kept a closed eye at our city's potential for a guide. Every couple of years, I wrote an article about the Michelin Guide and I studied our potential for one. I always had faith it would happen for Miami, so I was not surprised when it was confirmed they would be launching here. If you want more coverage, then what we are going to talk about today, go back to episodes 3 and 13 for my initial podcast, detailed, deep, geeky dives on this topic. There you will find more scoop into the Michelin Guide facts, tidbits uh, that you might not know, and that I will not be covering again today. I was blessed to attend last year's announcement. It took place at the Ritz Hotel in Orlando. There was so much excitement, but the anxiety and the tensions were high since everything was so new. And as predicted, Miami swept over Orlando and Tampa. We took 35 recommended restaurants, 19 bib gourmands, and 11 starred wins. I have to tell you that looking around and seeing everyone overjoyed, hugs, tears, and all the raw emotions and part shock and excitement, it was just incredible. And I left on such a high and just so proud of my adored 305. You would think that the emotions cooled off since last June, but Miami remains on a Michelin high and it's so cool to experience, especially when I go out and I see other diners that are there specifically just to dine at Michelin restaurants, very much like I do when I travel, like this time that I am now here back in New York. So before I go all in on this episode, I have some disclaimers. It should be apparent but just in case, if you don't already know, I keep it pretty real around here, on my blog, on my social media, and sometimes that means I am not the most PC person, but owning a blog for the past 10 years and a new one-year-old podcast, which is all about my dining and travel experiences chosen and paid for by me, means I can steer my content as I please without owing anyone anything, freedom to just be and that's refreshing. I am not an inspector. I am not affiliated with the Michelin Guide in any way. And I also do not have all the answers other than quotes I might share directly from the Michelin Guide website or facts that I have researched. Everything I discuss here is my opinion based on my dining experience at Michelin starred restaurants throughout US and Europe. Okay, let's begin. The ratings explained. The Michelin Guide states, quote, restaurants may receive zero to three stars for the quality of their food based on quality of the ingredients used, mastery of flavor and cooking techniques, the personality of the chef in his cuisine, value for money, and consistency between visits. That's something important to remember. Consistency between visits. One star, a very good restaurant in its category. Another important one to remember, since we are basically a one-star city right now. 
One star, a very good restaurant in its category. Two stars, excellent cooking worth a detour. Three stars, exceptional cuisine worth a special journey. Bib Gourmand, great quality cooking at a great price. They also have some special awards. They have awarded in other states and countries, but not necessarily in Florida yet. Um, although I suspect they might this year. The Green Star Restaurants. Those identify restaurants at the forefront of the industry when it comes to practices regarding sustainable gastronomy. So their initiatives could include, according to them, sourcing homegrown and local produce, performing their daily activities in a manner which reduce their carbon footprint, the use of clean energy such as solar, and I thought this was interesting, or the sourcing of regional textiles and crafted ceramics for use in the restaurant. I had not read that one before before I researched that one. There's also Chef Mentor, Young Chef Award, Service Award, Sommelier, Award, Exceptional Cocktail, and a Pastry Chef Award. So it will be interesting to see if we get any more of those. Uh, okay, so first let me begin with the existing list of stars. Do I think any restaurant will rank up or lose a star? Ha, <laughs> tough one. I know this will surprise no one since I have been very vocal about this all year. I know you're guessing it already, but I feel strongly Los Felix does not belong as a one star representing Miami. From the description written on the actual Michelin Guide, it seems the expector went in when it first opened because half of the dishes listed were very short-lived. The experience at Los Felix, in my opinion, is that of a place that you go to casually after a beach day, before the movies. Is it a very good restaurant in its category? No way. No way. I struggle to find just one thing that is outstanding about Los Felix. For one, it's tiny. The tables are uncomfortably close next to each other. I don't find the vibe to be that special, especially in the hotter summer months when the front door is constantly open and it's 90 degrees inside as well as outside. The food was just okay. Not terrible. I'm not saying that it's terrible, but it's just not very good. And other than the esquites, which was a mushy mess of awful, and the octopus, which was a gummy embarrassment for $32, <laughs> the rest was fine, but just not memorable in the least. And I'm also not a fan of the birthday sparkles, which I've talked about. I swear we must be the first Michelin restaurant with a DJ restaurant in a restaurant and sparklers. Although someone did just tell me that the French Laundry does occasional birthday sparklers, which I found surprising, but... The French Laundry does not come out uh, with them on either hand, handheld with a dessert in party mode. And that's fine. There's a time and a place for all of that. But when I choose a restaurant off the guide in which to dine, nothing about Los Felix is what I'm expecting. And my total bill for two with wine and tip was $418 and not a single wild bite. Not one. I think that's pretty rough. And I'm not... I know I'm also not alone in this opinion. Everyone I speak to within the industry feels the same way or other diners that have gone and messaged me. But I find it quite the mystery how they placed there. Will the guide move Los Felix down to a Bib Gourmand? They absolutely should. But I'm not necessarily holding my breath over it. Uh, for one, I've heard rumblings that a Los Felix event is going to happen next month related to the Michelin Guide. So would they book them again if they are not going to be starred? I don't know. It's disappointing. 
So that's where I am with that. Another one to possibly move down um, or out of the one star category is Hidden. I know most people don't know, but Hidden has been riding on a high from their initial opening year years ago and a couple of chefs who did a great job leading the omakase initially. But the truth is, you just never know who will be in charge there. They have zero consistency. Remember how I mentioned consistency a while ago? Omakase is only as good as the chef who runs it. And Hidden is basically a revolving door. So although Michelin star belongs to a restaurant and not a chef, in this case, when it's one chef and one assistant, it matters who is in place. So for example, the star that was given to them last summer, and then two weeks later, a chef the chef left. So shocker. The restaurant conveniently then closed to regroup and then announced its reopening with a brand new team. So while the diners who are new to Omakase enjoy the hard-to-get reservations, the whole mystery to get in with the door code, I think the lack of consistency and experience of the team matters most. And Hidden is simply inconsistent and varies in execution depending on who is leading that counters that counter for eight diners. So that's my whole spiel on who to bump out of the one star category. Which ones should we rank up? Now, I went through the list of bibs to see if any could or should be bumped to one star. And a reminder that a one star category, again, is varied and often does include casual spots. And I find that always, I'm always surprised when I'm reminded of that. I know most people see one star and immediately think it has to be fine dining, but that is not the case in the United States at all. In New York, for example, how does Sushinaz compare to Casamono? Or here, how does the surf club compare to Boyade in Miami when they all have one star and they're completely different? I love them all, but I think it's crazy that they're ranked the same. And that's another mystery. I also had the blessing to experience one and three stars in Italy this past winter. And wow, the ones there could easily be twos or threes in the United States. So... Lesson learned, we cannot compare the star system in Europe to ours. So if you're going to start with that, don't. It's just not the same at all. And it's also a reminder that when I am listing these and when I am talking about everything that I'm talking about today, I am thinking of the established patterns set forth by the Michelin Guide in the U.S. in the U.S. and especially in Miami. Okay, reminder again, the third time I'm reminding you, one star, a very good restaurant in its category. Based on that, I would absolutely bump up Zitsum and Gi and Itamai and Fukia off the bib list. Most of these have a tasting menu experience too and have been consistent, consistent for years in Miami. They are all well thought out and executed concepts with a cool vibe, great service and delicious food. Memorable for sure. How important, right? To like go to a restaurant and remember what you ate or crave what you ate afterwards. These are absolute shoo-ins for that. From the list of Michelin-recommended restaurants without a star or a bib, these are just restaurants that the guide has as recommended, so they have like their seal of approval. I will move up Chef's Counter at Hashidori Ramen, which is the formerly named Kojin, and Lamar to star. And maybe because of the price point, Michelina to a bib because of the price point. Chef's Counter is a small operation, husband and wife team, great attention to detail and passion. Lamar is performing the best that I have ever experienced and I have been going from day one when they open. I was blown away with the last menu I had while dining there and it's no easy feat considering how many covers they run daily, but they're doing a lovely job. Off of that list, 
Um, lastly, Leku is one I was on board to move up to a star as of a few months ago. But now there's a new chef in the kitchen, and I hear the entire concept might change. So I'm torn about that one, and I have not tried the menu with the new chef. So I'm on the fence about Leku, for those of you asking me about that one. What about ranking up from a 1 to a 2 or a 2 to a 3? I think ranking anyone up to a 2 right now sends the message that it's an easy task. Michelin comes, you got 1, and then you get 2, and then, I mean, it's not that easy. Other restaurants wait years to be moved up in that category. Plus, more importantly, based on the 2s where I have dined, which is where all my opinions come from, as I said, and in case you're wondering, that's 17 of the current 33 two-star restaurants. So I have 17 examples to compare this to in the United States. There seems to be a pattern. And here's the pattern. Dainty small portions, modern plating, many bo- bonus co- courses like mignonese, palate cleansers, cheese cards or dessert cards, some type of interactive part of dinner. Details, details, details. So keepsake menus. Take home candy or chocolate or muffins or whatever just a little something table setting spacing plates knives forks all obsessively placed and you have probably seen me post about the ironing of tablecloths mid-service in some of these spots with a two a note on service i spoke about it in detail on episode three but no casual service at all ever even if the restaurant is casual the service for the most part in those 17 examples has remained proper not formal but proper and highly performative. You never see them sweat. It's almost like an acting class and they never ever break character. They also all communicate with each other as a team, maybe some type of hand signals, head nods, or tricks so that the guest never hears the things that are being said. Someone is cold? Oh, a pashmina just magically appears. You want sparkling water? How did the person pouring, pouring the water appear within seconds and knew what to pour without hearing it? Maybe it was hand signals. Just never know. Also, they always have their research done as to who is dining and they keep notes for when guests return. So obsessive, obsessive attention to details. And there are exceptions, of course, like Momofuku Ko in New York. Those uh, That one tends to be very casual overall as far as the plating of the food that I listed before. Lastly, I will talk about Nawe in a minute, which could be an exception for us but because of that and everything i just mentioned i don't see anyone else in miami moving up to a two not now and not for a couple of more years i think maybe even year five or four i don't know that's honestly my opinion the only restaurants that started at two are those on the fast track to three like single thread or in a little washington and hopefully maybe even jaunt in dc who started as a two i don't foresee our Le Atelier de Robuchon moved up to a three. I think they'll probably stay at a two. But Michelin loves to surprise and always add a wild card. So you never truly know. But this question of, of any restaurants being moved up to a two for me is a big no. We only have one year of Michelin under our belt and we're just too new. Michelin's new additions. The Michelin Guide also released a sneak peek of eight restaurants that will be in the guide. That can be a recommendation, a bib, or a star. You just don't know. They release the names, but we don't know where they're going to place. I was happy to read it and agree with many of them. And I am 100% on board with Brasserie Laurel, Fiola, Lion and the Rambler, and Tambourine Room for a star. 
Laurel and Tambourine Room are two restaurants that opened and from day one were performing at the top of their game. Impressive. Fiola was one you've heard me talk about over and over. It's one of my favorites for a reason. It's not easy to perform so well with it being such a large space and they do it so gracefully, I think. I mean, I'm so, so excited for them to receive a star. Lion and the Rambler is also fairly new. From day one, I noted it was one to watch. Saw the potential. It has grown up gradually, and I think they have finally come into its skin. The last tasting menu I did there last month last month was phenomenal, and every dish landed, and the experience ranked pretty high on my list. I'm very, very proud and happy that they have been recognized by the guide. From the same list, I am not on board with Lido Restaurant receiving a star. Let me give you a little bit of background as to why. Giving Lido Restaurant a star now would be like giving it to a ghost restaurant. After Chef Mermolia's exit in winter of 2021, and by the way, Mermolia left to go work at Fiola DC and now has a one Michelin star there, there was a period of regrouping and Chef Michael White from New York took his place. Michael White of Maria fame. And as much as a fan as I was for White's New York restaurants, I feel like his presence was not really felt at Lido, unfortunately. And that was very disappointing. The restaurant mostly ran on fumes, in my opinion. Those teams holding it together have continuously changed. So although the space alone, because it's so gorgeous, deserved three stars, who would the star be for exactly? The chef teams who are no longer there? New staff that started working a couple of months ago? Talk about a misleading star. Uh, okay, other possible additions. These are restaurants skipped by the guide last year or new additions that I feel could absolutely pair with the Michelin Guide in Miami and are well-deserved. Bourbon steak. I know there are other bourbon steaks in the United States and I cannot speak for them at all, but ours is exceptional from food to service and everything in between. Top notch. It, they have been in Miami staple for over a decade. Talk about consistency. They have got it. Biblos, this suggestion might surprise some, but it's also a longtime staple in Miami Beach, and it's a great concept that has been executed beautifully. Caviar Rus, it's a nice, unique experience. It's done exceptionally well. I thought service needed a little bit of personalized fine-tuning when I last went, but it was pretty solid. Another shocker suggestion, La Fresa Francesa, or maybe not so shocking at all for me. This should be Hialeah's first star, and honestly, it's the kind of love story that Michelin loves. The location and the story behind the restaurant and then the food to just delivers, it just cements it as a perfect candidate. Tour Kitchen. This one caught me off guard last year, but they have been doing such good work, and their tasty menu is fire. Naue. Remember I said I was going to mention Naue again? I promised to forget about the part where they were overlooked last year for whatever reason, like reservation being tough to score. If the Michelin Guide just gives them two stars from the get-go, that will make up for it, okay? Deal. Just give them the two stars from the get-go and we will forget all about last year's overlooking them. Marigold Brasserie. While this is a very new restaurant, the team is led by veteran Miami chef Brad Kilgore. When I started analyzing potential for the guide, Kilgore topped every article I wrote and every Michelin mention, and the tasting menu is in its initial format still. It's Florida-inspired, but it has nowhere to go but up. And hear me out, if the Michelin guide is going to award Los Felix and put trust that the chef there comes from a pedigreed 
background, then Kilgore trumps that a thousand percent. Just my two, two cents. I don't know if you know, but the chef from Los Felix has a background from 11 Madison Park and Osteria Francescana. So, yeah, let's give that to Marigold Brasserie instead. Uh, let's see, sommelier of the year. I feel strongly about this one, too. But I would love to see Daniel Bishop from Fiola take this award. He's passionate about his job, extremely knowledgeable and approachable. He has done a phenomenal job with his offerings. The perfect candidate. And if not Daniel, then maybe Ariette Hospitality Group's Adrian Lopez. He's also an absolute ace when it comes to wine and a trusted psalm. I always joke when I'm there. We always say, in Adrian, we trust. So whatever he suggests, we're getting. Exceptional Cocktails Award. This one is where I have to buy out. I will have to pass on this one because truth be told, I am not much of a cocktail fan. Uh, so it's definitely not my strength. So I won't give a suggestion on this category. And the Green Star Award. I would absolutely give that. I think everyone knows that Guy deserves the Green Star uh, for what they are doing with their Homestead Ranch and um, Green Farm to Table Florida Movement. Lastly, who am I? To talk about all of this, well, the short answer is I am a Michelin and Miami dining enthusiast. The longer answer, I'm an up-close-and-personal dining enthusiast. My perspective comes from the many Michelin restaurants that I have dined, as I mentioned before. Spoiler alert, right now I am about at 218 stars. And I'm not saying that, again, not to brag. It's just that's where my perspective comes from because I'm so in love with this topic. And it's a whole lot of miles and calories. And except for Massa, Benu, and Addison, the count includes that I have dined 10 out of the 13 U.S. three-star locations. So it does not make me an expert at all, but I do have a lot to work with when comparing other cities to Miami. I simply use the guide as just that, a guide. I enjoy the journey, even when I don't always agree with the guide selections. There really is something about the guide that is special. On a recent trip, to Italy, for example, I dined at an incredible one-star restaurant hidden in a town of 200 residents. Would I have ever found that without the guide? Nope. It really was worth a detour to make it there. So to conclude, there's no way to truly know how the Michelin guy will continue representing Miami. And this is just my best evaluation of the whole process. So now it's your turn. What do you think will happen next? message me and let me know i love hearing from you passionate diners did you enjoy this episode yes bueno can you please take a couple of minutes to rate the podcast on apple or spotify please you don't even have to actually write a review it takes minutes to just hit the ratings but it helps expose the podcast to other food enthusiasts and helps promote miami because of the ever famous algorithms thank you thank you thank you for listening until we receive more information this coming may 11th Enjoy this series of Michelin podcast episodes and blog articles written from my passionate Miami palette, the wet palette. Bye.